Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, All Things Work Together for Good. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to Romans chapter 8. This is our third week and we've been dealing with a series. And what we've been talking about basically is where do our problems come from? Where is it that our trials and tribulations, sickness, disease, poverty, stresses, and things like this, where do they come from? And the reason that I believe this is so crucial, for those of you that are here in the early service and heard Dan minister, I'm sure he'll probably be ministering the same thing in the second service, but it, we've got to believe that God's a good God, that God's will is for us to prosper. Because if you don't believe that, then you will not prosper. You will not resist the situation you're in. I've used examples of when I was over in India that the real problem in India is not famine, the real problem is religion. Religion has taught those people that they are supposed to be that way, that they are sinning against God if they ever do anything to get out of the caste system that they're born into. There's an abundance of food in India, but religion is keeping people in bondage. And a lot of our religious teaching is keeping us in bondage because we have been made to believe that God is teaching us something. He's perfecting us by our trials and tribulations and all of these things that happen to us. So this is what we've been dealing with is to show that no, God is not the one that is putting our problems upon us. If you believe that, it'll take away your resistance. You won't resist. You won't fight against things in your life that are negative if you believe God's in the one who's doing that because you'd be fighting against God. And one of the secrets to receiving the miracle power of God in your life is, according to James 4, 7, submitting yourselves unto God, resisting the devil, and he'll flee from you. So you've got to have a clear-cut definition of what's God and what's the devil in your life. You've got to know that. Otherwise, you'll find yourself in a passive position letting Satan come in and steal and kill and destroy from you. The first week we dealt with the sovereignty of God. If you've missed any of this, I really encourage you to get some tapes because there's no way I'm going to be able to go back through all this, okay? But God is not sovereign in the sense that God controls everything that happens to you. Again, sovereignty of God, it depends on what you mean by that. If you mean that God's independent, which is what the word sovereign literally means, then yes, God is sovereign. He's independent. Nobody tells God what to do. But that does not mean that God doesn't have any controls or any predictable actions. God is predictable. God has bound himself by his word. And when he gave us power to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, if the sick aren't recovering, it's not God who's letting them be sick. It's us who haven't been out laying hands on the sick or it's us who haven't been praying the prayer of faith. God's will is for us to prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. Another example that we used is Deuteronomy chapter 28. That chapter is 68 verses long. The first 15 or the first 14 verses talk about the blessings that come upon us from keeping the law, the blessings of God. And then verse 15 through 68 talk about all of the curses that come upon us. And it, God is making it clear what he considers to be a blessing and a curse. I've heard this a lot of times. People say, well, this sickness was really a blessing in disguise because through it, it brought me closer to God. Well, you know something that God doesn't know about it then because God said sickness was a curse. He listed it on the curse side and he said health was a blessing. He said uh, poverty was a curse and prosperity was a blessing. God in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if anybody had any questions, that ought to solve it, that God says it is a curse to be sick. It's cursed to be poor. It's a curse to have the botch or the mildew or a blasting or emrods. Amen? You ought to go look all those things up. It's a curse in God's eyes. Now, somebody might say, but wait a minute, God did that to people in the Old Testament. Well, now, this is an over oversimplification, and as we continue to deal with this, I'm going to deal with what about Old Testament examples of God smiting somebody with sickness or something? 
I'll deal with that in detail, but an oversimplification, a very simple way of looking at it is, you cannot find an instance where God ever smote somebody with sickness, disease, uh, killed them, did anything where it was a blessing. It was always punishment. It was always a curse. It was never corrective. You don't find it corrective. You find it as a punitive measure. And the Bible says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. So Christ redeemed me from the curse, from the punishment. Yes, God did some things in the Old Testament. We'll deal with that in more detail, but you can't find it as a blessing. It was a curse that, that uh, verifies Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 68, and the curse is not coming upon us because Jesus bore our curse. So don't say that God's putting something on you to teach you something or all of these things. Now, that still leaves a lot of questions. Today, let's look in Romans chapter 28, and we're going to deal with a couple of things. And uh, this passage of Scripture right here is a passage of Scripture that you'll hear people use that don't know any other Scripture in the entire Word of God. I've heard people at funerals stand there and talk about, well, God works all things together for good, and they'll sit there and administer that towards somebody. I heard a woman one time who uh, her son was a missionary, I believe it was, in one of these countries, and some uh, people came in and murdered him dismembered them, desecrated them. I mean, it was a terrible thing that they did. And he was a missionary. And I saw on the news the mother of, of one of the men who was killed interviewed, and her reaction was Romans 8:28. Well, we know that God has a purpose in doing this. We know that God did this for some reason, and he's going to work it together for his own good. And he credited God with somebody that came in there, murdered all of these people, women and children, dismembered them, did all of these terrible things, and, and she credited God with that. Well, now, that is not God that did it. That is not what Romans 8, 28 says. What it says is, we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This verse starts with a conjunction. It starts with the word and, and a conjunction is a figure of speech that links things together. When it starts out with the word and, that means that you can't take this verse and isolate it from others. If you look back up into verse 26 and 27, you'll find out that he's talking about intercession. He says that we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession. Well, let's, let me read it here. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know. All right, that ties it into this intercession. So for this verse to really be operative, a person has to be operating in this intercession, allowing the Holy Ghost to make intercession through them that's listed in Romans 8, 26, and 27. Now, there's a lot of people today who are laying claim to this scripture. There's a lot of people. I heard a, a man one day who was speaking at a full gospel businessman's meeting, and he came in, and he had just buried his nephew and, uh, I think, a girlfriend that he was with, and they were stoned on drugs. They had a head-on collision and uh, killed both of them, and they went to hell. Neither one of them were born again. And he came saying, well, God works all things together for good. God had a purpose in doing this. I guarantee you, that's not God that killed somebody and sent them to hell. That's the devil that snuffed them out. That's the devil that enticed them into drugs that got them to doing their own thing. You know, you could apply this towards the abortion that we were talking about. Is God killing 16.5 million babies? Over the last few years, is he murdering all of them to accomplish some good? God's not the one that's doing that. God's not the one that caused the Holocaust in Germany and did all of those kind of things. God's not the one doing those things. 
Satan is an enemy that's come in and doing this, and we've got to recognize that Satan is the author of this. This did not say that we know all things work together for good for the person who's not operating in intercession, who's not allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through them, who's not resisting the devil. Okay, this is not uh, a scripture that applies to everybody. This is for those who are allowing the Holy Spirit to make intercession through them. And they are yielding to that. All right? Also, in verse 28, it does not say that we know that all things come from God and that God works all of these things together for good. That's the way it's interpreted. But this does not say that God brought everything into your life. Now, again, if anybody missed what I was teaching when I was talking about the sovereignty of God, I encourage you to get hold of that because this is such an ingrained teaching in us that some people may just be throwing up a red flag and saying, wait, brother, nothing can happen but what God allows it. That's not so. If you, I wish I had time to explain that all over again, but I don't. If you missed it, there's tapes available. I've got a tape entitled The Sovereignty of God, another one entitled God is Not Guilty, a four-tape series entitled The Law is Not a Faith, and on and on it goes. Amen. They'll explain that. But this did not say that God does everything or allows everything that happens to us. God doesn't. He gave a control unto us. And we have an adversary, the devil, who's going about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour just everybody. It's not faith that dictates why some people get struck with tragedy and others don't. Satan is going about seeking to devour whoever he can. And I guarantee you the people who will allow him to devour him, he will devour you. You can't say that 100% because some people say, well, now, wait a minute. I know somebody over here that was seeking God pretty good. Maybe they weren't perfect, but they were seeking God. And here's some old lost sinner over here, and he didn't seem to have anything happen to him. seemed like he had an easy life. Well, there's a number of ways of explaining that. The Bible says in, Rome, in uh, Mark chapter 4 that Satan comes immediately to steal away the word that was sown in our hearts. Satan is concentrating his fight on the people who have the word and are making a stand for the word because that's where the threat's coming from. If you were in an army and if you were being threatened, if there was a bunch of peasants out here in a field and they didn't have a single weapon won and they weren't any threat to you, whether they were part of the enemy's group or not, you would go towards the one that had the weapons that were firing on you. You would concentrate your effort to stop the one who had the power to stop you. That's the same thing in Satan's kingdom. You will see examples of some lost people who may prosper in their way. And there are things in the Word of God written about that. And then you may see a person who's seeking God who's just being tormented. It's because Satan has concentrated his effort against the people with the Word of God. You want to get in a fight? Man, you get hold of the Word of God. And I guarantee you the fight is on. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to lose. I'm saying the fight's on. I'm fighting more than I've ever fought in my life. The difference is I'm winning. Praise God. Used to, I didn't fight as much, but I lost more. Now I fight more, but I win more, praise God. I'm not saying that you have to lose. We can be more than conquerors in every situation, but I am saying that there will be a battle. Satan comes against the Word of God. And he's seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour everybody. It's very possible for a person to be very developed in certain areas and weak in another. I've seen some people who were sick and had sickness just to bide them, and yet they were some of the best Christians. They loved God. They loved people. They were good but they were not developed in the area of healing. They had wrong conceptions. Part of it is what we're talking about. Some of the times they'll sit there and think, well, maybe this is God's way of teaching me something, and they'll be very submissive to it. They'll have a good attitude. They won't gripe and complain, and they'll glorify God in spite of that sickness. But the reason Satan was able to devour them is because of a wrong thinking, because they did not resist the devil. The Bible says you resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. It's not right to go to God and say, Oh, God, get the devil off my back. Oh, God, heal me of this cancer. You don't have to do that. The Bible says you resist the devil. You lay hands on the sick. You cast out devils. 
You're the one that has that authority. You can go and beg and plead with God all you want to, but until you take your authority and get out of a deception that it's whatever God wills is happening in your life, you can be sick and yet be a very good Christian. Love God, love people, be used of God, and yet be deficient in that area. So anyway, Satan is the one who is going about seeking whom he may devour. Satan is the one bringing sickness, disease, poverty, and these type of things on us. So verse 28 does not say that God brings everything on us. But it does say this. It says that if you are operating in the intercession of the Holy Spirit, that's talking about if you're seeking God. This doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you spend five hours every day in intercession, okay? But it does mean that you are seeking God and that you are seeking to let God dominate your life. If, because of an inadequacy in your life, or sometimes it's not even an inadequacy in your life. Sometimes it's just the fact that you're operating in this world and you're going to encounter Satan. Like, say for instance, uh, if the economy was to totally bottom out, if the, if the economy just totally fell apart, it may not be anything you did that caused the economy to fall apart and yet you will reap some of the problems associated with that. And that's not to say that you can't overcome them because God can prosper you in the midst of poverty. God can prosper you regardless of what the United States economy does, but it does mean that it's going to be an obstacle. It will be an attack from the devil that you'll have to overcome. It may not be generated by anything that you did specifically. It could just be the fact that you're in a world and you're going to encounter Satan through other people's attack. I know that in, in the ministry, I, I had to learn this because when I first got into the ministry, I was used to operating by myself. And I could control what was happening in my life by myself because it was just a matter of me getting my act straight with God. And if I was giving place to the devil, I repent on it and I straighten the thing out. But did you know when I got into the ministry, I found out that, man, I was not only being bombarded because of things that I let Satan do myself, but I was also receiving uh, attacks through other people. Some of them well-meaning, but they were criticizing me and on and on, and Satan was using their problems to get to me. All right? So I'm saying all of this to say that, yes, it's probably most of the time it's something that we have di directly given place to Satan, the reason problems come on us. It's possible that you can have problems come at you not because of anything you did, but just because you're in a world. But either way, it's not God who has ordained these problems to teach you something and to make you perfect. If trials and tribulations made you perfect, the church would have been perfected a thousand years ago and the millennium would have already taken place. Amen. We've been tried and tribulated. And some of you can tell by yourself that you've been through a lot of problems and yet it didn't make you holier. Many times it makes you bitter, it makes you mad, it makes you all of these kind of things. Trials and tribulations don't make you perfect. But if you're seeking God, this scripture is a promise that God can take whatever the devil throws at you and turn around and work it together for good. Now I'll say this, many times in an, in an effort to show that God is not the one who's putting problems on us, you'll hear people say, you don't learn anything through your trials and tribulations. You won't learn anything through your problems. And that's wrong. And many people will not accept that because they can point back in their life and they can see tragedies, problems that they've been through, and they can see that because of those things, they're better off today. They learned a lesson. They drew closer to God or a number of things. So therefore, many people will reject this and say, well, no, I do believe God teaches me something because this thing that happened, this sickness brought me closer to God because of it. There's been people, one to the Lord, etc., etc." I heard an example one time about a boy who is afraid to witness. And so he started praying, God, use me. Even if you've got to kill me, use me. Even if you've got to just destroy me, do whatever you've got to do to me to make me a witness. So he prayed that way. He was a football player. And uh, he just was not a strong witness, but he got a cancer 
And through this cancer, everybody, you know, attention was focused on him. They got to feeling sorry. And in the midst of it, he praised God. He had joy throughout the whole thing. And he gave such a strong Christian witness through that negative situation that at his funeral, four people got born again. And the person who was telling this story told it for the purpose of saying, it may take that. God may do that to you so that he can use you. God didn't kill this guy to use him. But God did use him in spite of that. I guarantee you, a person who's got cancer, and whether they can believe God for their healing or not, if they can just believe God to keep from under, coming under the fear and the oppression of dying that the world comes in contact with, that can be used. And God did use that. But God didn't ordain that. I guarantee you, God could have used him getting healed of that thing and have reached many, many more people with that. I guarantee you, if he'd have got up out of his casket instead of four getting born again, they'd have had 400 get born again. Amen. Yes, God uses it, but that doesn't mean that it's God's best. I admit, I've learned things through problems, through mistakes, but that is not God's way. That is not God's best. But God is so committed to me that if it takes that, before I turn to God, God will minister to me. He'll teach me something. He'll respond to me whenever I turn to Him, in the midst of problems or in prosperity. I can learn in prosperity. I don't have to wait on trials and tribulations. A scripture that we used last week, and I'd just like to go over it again. This is a powerful scripture out of Second uh, Timothy Chapter 3, verse 15. Or let's back up to verse 14 and start at the first of the sentence. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Many times when people teach that God's the author of the tragedy in your life, they will teach that God's actually a loving God. They, they aren't trying to teach that God's an ogre or that God's mean. They're saying God loves you so much that he will put a cancer on you to teach you something. He'll do it to get your attention, to draw you close unto him etc., etc. They say that these things are used for correction, for reproof, and yet this scripture shows us that the Word of God is given to us for correction, for reproof. You can't find a scripture that says tragedy is for correction and for reproof. You can find scriptures like Romans 8, 28 that says God can take any negative situation and still make something good out of it, but you can't find a situation where it says that God is the author of those things and that God designed those things for your benefit. Those things are designed to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And in the majority of cases, some of them may sit there and you may have a doctrine that you hold on to, but I guarantee you, if you begin to deal with people, and I deal with a lot of people, I've pastored three churches and ministered to a lot of people, you deal with people, the majority of people are destroyed by their tragedies. They are not blessed and brought closer to God. That's a small percentage that even use it in any positive way and respond and come to God. Those things are designed to steal, kill, and destroy. And in the vast majority of cases, that's what they'll do. Yes, sir? Today, to say that he doesn't allow them either. I'm saying that God has a total overall control, but he does not control totally every part of your life. Right. Your will can influence that. And I've already dealt with this. I'll just use one example, and then you'll have to go back and get the tapes because we had a whole session on this, Jay. But uh, an example is, say, for instance, in the area of uh, forgiveness of sins. 
The Bible makes it very clear in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, that's clear, and I believe everybody in here agrees that it's God's will for everybody to be born again, and yet not everybody is born again. Why? Because they've got a will. They've got a response. And if we don't confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart, then we will not be saved even though God's made the provision and it is His will. So no, God does not control us totally. We have a right to accept or reject God's will for our life. Now, I do believe that God can take any situation and use it and work it together to conform His will. Like say, for instance, it's God's will that every person be born again. But because some people choose not to submit to that, take the example of Pharaoh. Pharaoh chose to go his own way. He chose to rebel at God. Therefore, God said, all right, I can even use somebody who's in total rebellion. And God took him after Pharaoh had already hardened his own heart. And God hardened his heart another 20 times at least that I've seen in Scripture. And God used him to glorify his name through his hardness of heart. Nobody would have been that hard-hearted under normal circumstance to withstand God that way. So God took somebody who had already chosen rebellion, put them in a position where he could use them to glorify his name. But God did not damn Pharaoh. God did not will that Pharaoh be damned from the womb and he had no chance of salvation, things like that. That was not God's will. Amen? So God does not control every little thing that comes into our life. But like Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, God can take those negative things and turn them around and work them together for good. A very uh, quick testimony is our computer breakdown. I don't believe God wiped out 40,000 people on our mailing list because we use that to minister to people. There were people that had ordered tapes that we weren't able to fulfill their tapes. There's people that were touched, needed ministry, asked for ministry that we weren't able to fulfill. God did not blitz our computer, okay? But because we love God and because we didn't get into despair and because we didn't get negative over it, we turned to God in the midst of the thing and began to praise Him. Praise, according to many scriptures, uh, Matthew chapter 21 and Psalms chapter 8, says that it's power to still the enemy and the avenger. And as you praise God, you're offering sacrifices well acceptable and pleasing unto God. And as we begin to just start operating in faith and praise instead of negativism, God took a situation that Satan tried to use to destroy our ministry. We were over $100,000 in arrears when that happened. And Satan meant to destroy us because we no longer had any way to communicate. We were offending the people we ministered to, etc. And it could have totally devastated us financially. But it turned around and became a tremendous blessing to where we wiped out our whole indebtedness through a negative situation. Because as people heard about it, this one church in Kansas took up an offering. 300 people took up a $60,000 offering and sent it in to us. And other people responded. And God took a negative situation and made something positive out of it. God worked it together for good. But I am convinced it would not have worked together for good if I would have said, well, God, nothing happens but watch you do it for a purpose. So I submit to this. I submit and believe that you do it. See, if I'd have done that, I would not have been in a position of resisting the devil and submitting myself unto God. I would have been in a position of submitting myself unto the devil and actually resisting God's will. I would have believed that God didn't want me to preach the gospel. God didn't want me to share the gospel. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 6. We're close here if you're still in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey his servants ye are. To whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. If Satan is the one who blitzed our computer, which I believe he did because it really hampered our ability to minister to people. I don't believe God's trying to stop the gospel from going forth today. If Satan's the one that blitzed our computer... 
And if I submitted to that act and said, well, God, I just submit to it. I totally yield and I believe you did this for some good reason. Then I would have yielded myself unto the author of that situation, which would have been the devil, not God. And I would have become his servant. That doesn't mean that I lose my salvation. It doesn't mean that God's mad at me. But it does mean that Satan would control and dominate me in that area because there was no resistance on my part. God's operation in our life is totally dependent on whether we are submitting ourselves unto him and resisting the devil. If we've inverted the thing and if we're submitting ourselves unto the devil through some situation he brings into our life, then God can't come in and override that because we have submitted ourselves unto him. Same thing with Adam did with uh, Satan. He submitted himself unto Satan and let Satan become the god of this world. Adam was created to be the god of this world and Satan took it because of Adam's submission unto him. So when we submit unto a sickness, if a sickness comes into our life and if we say, oh God, you did this for some purpose. You did this to teach me something and so therefore we get in bed and just let it run its course. You've submitted unto that sickness and if you pray and say, God, heal me, you're double-minded. The Bible says a double-minded man shall not receive anything of the Lord out of James chapter 1. You've got to resist that sickness as the plague that it is from the devil. Otherwise, you will wind up submitting yourself unto the author of that sickness and you will stop You'll tie God's hands in that situation. Now, I know my terminology may be offensive to some people, but in effect, that's what it does. There are things happening that God does not will, that he doesn't like, and yet it's not him allowing it, it's us allowing it. God gave us power to lay hands on the sick and to see them recover. God gave us power to cast out devils. And if you don't cast the devil out, God's not going to cast it out. Now, I don't believe that the devil will win. I don't care if everybody got into rebellion because God, if he has to, will raise up a donkey, amen, to go to speak in the word of God. He did that with Balaam. God's got enough resources that he's going to get the job done. What God said will come to pass. God maintains overall control, but I guarantee you God's will has been thwarted a lot of times. It was not God's will that Herod killed the infants. It was not God's will that all of these atrocities that have happened in history happened. But it happens because God committed tremendous authority and power to us and we have allowed Satan to run his course. God hasn't allowed 16 and a half million babies to be murdered over the last uh, 20 years or what is it, 10 years, something in America. God's not the one that will that. God's not the one that says let's murder 15 and a half million babies in the United States. Satan did that and God's people have been asleep. God's people allowed that. God didn't allow it. God's people allowed it. And God's people have the authority to get off of their duff and get up and do something about it. Amen. We got the authority to rise up and begin to stand against that and to do something. A person that believes God's in control, it takes away your motivation. It takes away your activity. You're just sitting there. If God really allows everything, well, then how can we uh, discredit God for sending people to hell? Because God's controlled everything that's happened to them. God willed everything that came to pass in their life. That's not so. How could God be angry with you for not being all that you're supposed to be? Because you're exactly what God wants you to be. All right, let me throw this at you. If you think that God, if nothing happens but what God wills, then why would anybody ever get upset with me teaching otherwise? Because I couldn't teach it if God would, didn't will me to do it. Amen. I must be preaching what God wills. And I guarantee you the people that think God wills everything get just some kind of hostile with me when I go to saying that he doesn't. So see, there's a lot of inequities in that. God gave us freedom of choice, and we can affect God's will. Not the total plan, but your individual life. You can go to hell if you want to, and even though it's God's will for you to be saved, God will protect your right to go to hell. 
So God does not control everything that comes into your life. Jesus went about, according to Acts chapter 10, verse 38, doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Not oppressed of God, but they were oppressed of the devil. And Jesus went about uh, freeing them, setting them free. So all things do not come from God, but God can work them together for good. Just like our computer, if instead of sitting there saying, Oh God, the devil hit me with sickness and getting into bitterness or fear, if you will begin to respond properly and say, Oh man, devil, you messed up this time. You don't know who you jumped on. You jumped on a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to rub your nose in this. Praise God. The devil's going to, God's going to heal me and I'm going to rub your nose in this all around the world. Then it'll work together for good because the healing power of God will be manifest and you'll hit the circuit telling everybody about healing. You know, an example of this, I was on a plane going to Phoenix and I told some of you this one time, but I sat next to a Satanist high priest and I didn't know that's who he was. It took us a long time to get into it, but finally I just kept talking about God and talking about God and talking about God. Finally, this guy, after a while, he was filthy, dirty, had on one of these green beret hats that flopped over on the side and his fingernails were about an inch beyond his fingers, stinky, smelly, wearing an old army over jacket. We got off on this because he's on welfare and I was telling him there's something better than welfare and he was telling me, no, 10% of the population has to be unemployed to make a capitalistic system work. And so he got to saying, I'm really helping you out by being on welfare. And I was talking to him. And anyway, finally, I kept talking about God. He just reared up and turned around. And I mean, he got right up in my face and hatred. It was demons. I don't know that I've ever seen a guy any more demon-possessed than this. And he got right in my face and he says, You are speaking to a disciple of the Maharishi. And he goes through this long name that I later on in the conversation found. Is that's the name they call Satan. He's a Satanist high priest under Anton LaVey in California. And did you know, I... In the past, I would have said, oh, Satanist high priest. I'd have grabbed Philip sitting next to me and say, pray, brother, let's bind this spirit. Let's intercede. But did you know I just knew my authority and it was just like, how dare the devil challenge me? And I turned around and I got right back up in his face. Boy, just right up my nose, right up to him. And I said, you are speaking to a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my God's bigger than your God. Amen. <laughs> and you should have seen this guy. He just went bananas. Boy, he got to shaking, and I just lit in on him. I said, your God's a defeated God. He's powerless. He's a jerk. And I called the devil every name I could think of. And he started talking, and he says, but I, he says, I'm a high priest. And he says, these people that kill animals and do these rituals, he says, that's very low form of witchcraft. He says, I kill people. He says, I've cursed many a people and kill them and cut their organs out, and I've offered them as sacrifices. He says, I can curse you right now. And, you know, I looked at him, and I said, brother, the Bible says... The curse causeless shall not come. I said, shoot your best shot. Whatever you curse me with will come back on you. I said, I dare you in the name of Jesus. And I just got right up in his face. And this guy got so afraid. Philip could verify this. He's not here this morning, is he? Teaching someplace else? But he got so nervous. He was shaking like this. And he bit off his fingernail. Just was yanking them out and spitting them. He was barking like a dog. He was going through all of this stuff. And man, you should have seen people on the airplane scatter. It was hilarious. And I just kept on, boy, for an hour and a half. I had him on the inside seat, and I was letting him have it. Praise God. Just using my authority in the Lord. It was a great time. I forgot why I got off on that now. But anyway, God's not the author of everything negative that comes into our life, but you can take it and you can use it and make it a positive thing if you know who you are, if you know that God has given control and authority to you. The reason I was able to talk to that guy is because I knew who I was. Because I knew the authority that God had given me. I was not afraid of the devil. I knew that the devil can't do anything either but what I give him place for. Also in verse 28 here it says, 
All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So there's two more qualifications on this verse. Before this, on chapter 15, he's keeping his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. So this is talking about a person that loves God expressed through him living a life that's seeking God. Again, not perfection, but he's talking about a person who submitted himself unto God and not the devil. It also says that they work together for good to them that love God, them who are the called according to his purpose. What is the purpose and the calling of the Lord? Over in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, won't take time to turn over there, I'm trying to get through in a hurry, but it says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The purpose and the calling of Jesus is to destroy the works of the devil. Now, a person who's sitting there with his feet propped up in the bed glorifying God for something that the devil did to him is not operating in the purpose and the calling of the Lord. He is not resisting the devil. He is not out to destroy the works of the devil. He submitted himself to that thing, and that person will be overcome in that area. So for a person who submitted himself unto something that is uh, authored by Satan, it will not work together for good. It only works together for good for those who have allowed the intercession of the Holy Ghost to operate according to Romans 8, 26 and 27, to those who love God that's manifest through a submitted life unto him, and to those who are in resistance towards the devil, out to destroy the works of the devil. Now, if you're doing those three things, I guarantee you anything negative that the devil brings in your life will work out for good. If he kills you, you'll get raised from the dead, amen, and you'll go out and glorify God. If he puts sickness on you, you'll overcome it and it'll turn to you for a testimony. If he puts poverty on you, well, poverty is just a temporary thing. It's subject to change. You can turn it around and use it for a good testimony if you're doing those things. A person that's living a life of rebellion or is not submitted to God, does not allow the Holy Ghost to make intercession, is not resisting the devil, but instead, through deception, is submitted to the devil thinking that everything that happens in their life is God-ordained. You're going ha- to get ripped off. And you may see some good come out of it, but it's not God's best. God's best is for the Word of God to be profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, so that you may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It does not have to take the Word of God plus your hard knocks to make you perfect. The Bible says the Word of God is given to make you perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And that's a better way. You can learn through your problems. You can learn through trials and tribulations. But I guarantee you, you're going to be a thousand miles behind the person who takes God's Word and lets the goodness of God lead them to repentance. And really, if you stop and think about it, it's, a, it's really a sorry thing to, to think that here we are, born again, have the fullness of the Godhead in us bodily, we have the mind of Christ, we're renewed in knowledge, all of these things, but that the only time we're going to respond to God is when we get flat of our backs and can't look any other way. That's terrible to think that that's the only way that we would respond to the person who loved us, gave himself for us, gave so much to us. That is not the way that God ordained. There are people that live that way, but that's not God's way. God's way is for the Word of God to teach us what we need to know, to prune, to cut off the negative edges. Another scripture that is used many times in a negative way is John chapter 15. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And they talk about that God's going to make your business fall apart because that's a purging. God's cleansing you through your humility, etc., Well, if you'd read the very next verse, John chapter 15, verse 3, it says, Now ye are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. You look the word purge up in the dictionary, it's defined by clean. If you look the word cleanse up in the dictionary, it's defined by purge. It's talking about the same thing. And in context, he's not going to purge you through all of your trials and tribulations. He's going to purge you through the word. The word of God will prune you if you'll let it. 
If you won't let it, you can learn through your hard knocks, but that's not God's way. There's a better way. Praise God. Well, we got a lot more to share. I'm going to be gone uh, the next couple of weeks, but I'll be back sometime, and we'll just pick up and continue talking about this. With, did you have a question? Already answered. Anybody else got a question, a comment? As long as you can share your disagreement, as long as you're agreeable about it, amen. Will. Yeah, and I, I'll be honest with you, I don't have an answer for that one. An answer to verify what I'm teaching. Let me say this. Somebody might say, well, if you've still got a question about John chapter 9, why are you teaching what you're teaching? Well, it's like, for instance, if you got a puzzle and there's a hundred pieces to the puzzle. I used to, when I believed God put things on you, I had three pieces that fit and 97 that didn't. Now I've got 97 that fit and three that don't. And so I am convinced that what I'm sharing is truth. How to answer that scripture totally, I can't say, but I will say this. Jesus turned around and he says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is called day. The night comes when no man can work, and he healed him. Jesus did not leave him sick. And even if a person believed that God put that sickness on him to teach him something or so that it could glorify God, then they have to believe that he has to be healed for God's will to be performed. Most people who believe that God puts tragedy in their life do not say that it's temporary and that the ultimate will be healing. For instance, Joni Erickson, Johnny Erickson, which I am not here to condemn, I, that woman's doing a tremendous job with what she's got. But she believes God made her that way, will leave her that way forever and a day, and that there is no option. God made her that way so that she could be used of God. She is being used of God, but that was not God's will. God is working it together for good, and God's best for her would be to heal. And so, see, she doesn't even conform to this example of the lame man in, in uh, John chapter 9. And most people who believe that God puts tragedy on you do not believe in an ultimate winning over the thing. They just bear the thing forever and a day. Yes, ma'am. that explanation and I, I could give you 15 things that I've heard faith people teach to explain John chapter 9 I could give you a lot of answers I'm just saying I don't know what the answer is I've got a lot of things but I just try and steer away from it when I don't know I just say I don't know amen I'm getting closer than I was Roger well what do you mean by accountability I believe that 1 Corinthians 10:13 says there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. So that right there would say that there is a limitation. There is a limit on the devil and a young Christian who's operating in ignorance and hasn't been shown the word of God is not as accountable as far as the devil goes. I believe God is willing for his goodness is on all of us regardless of our age and maturity but Satan 
uh, you aren't held accountable for what you don't know, so therefore Satan takes advantage of the more mature Christian if he slips. I can say this, that some things that I got by with when I was a brand new Christian, if I was to operate that same way today, I believe that Satan would come in and rack havoc with me because I know better. And I mean, it's not just something I've heard, it's something I've lived and experienced, and if I just totally went back to living a sloppy life the way I did when I first got born again, I'd be accountable. I was pretty accountable the way it was. I saw at least three people, my dad and two of my best friends uh, killed. I was with them when they died before I was 21. Satan ripped me off pretty much even as a baby Christian. Praise God, and it's not happening anymore. Last question. Yes, sir. I believe that God, and I'll deal with this probably in a couple of weeks and, and explain this more, but his, his question is, is God in control of the laws of nature and things like this? I believe God established laws, and those laws are an ongoing, self-perpetuating thing, and God does not have to intervene to make those laws work. They work and are held in check by his word that he's already spoken out. Like the law of electricity. If a person gets uh, in here and grabs a wire and kills himself, God didn't sit there and say, all right, you shouldn't have done that. I'm going to release this electricity and kill you. God set laws into motion. You violate those laws, it'll kill you or it'll work for your advantage. And I think that those laws are there and we can use them as we desire. I do believe that there is a moral accountability. Like, for instance, uh, the medical field has gotten to where they found about opium, uh, heroin, etc., etc. And did you know medicine is what... An, uh, introduced that into society. The doctors introduced that into society and they used it and they made millions of people addicts and then it hit the streets after that. They should have been morally accountable for that. Yes, it was there to use, but they did not use it in a proper moral way and I don't believe that's right. I do believe God will judge people on their, uh, you know, being just with the use of his things, using weapons and things like that for their own advantage. Praise God. Time's up. We need to stand up and pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Father, I know that this is a subject, Father, that is very complicated, more than what any of us can totally understand or totally present. And so we just throw these things before you, Father. We ask the Holy Spirit, according to John 14, 26, to bring back to our remembrance the things that you've spoken to us. Father, if it's anything that I've added... I believe that, Father, that will fall by the wayside, but anything that the Holy Ghost has spoken, that you'll bring it back to our remembrance, that we'll meditate on it until it conforms our thinking to your thinking. And that, Father, truly we'll wind up submitting ourselves unto God and resisting the devil. And we thank you for that, Father. We believe that we receive that in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.